Let's do this. Oh, that's the music. It's take two. We're going to try this again. <laughs> it's the Soybean Pest Podcast with Matt and Aaron. I'm Matt. I'm Aaron. And today is the 24th of July. This is season eight, episode eight, and we've been gone for a while, but we're back. We have a lot to say. We do? See, that's a funny joke. <laughs> <laughs> when there's dead silence. Yeah, just, we have a lot to say. Um, yeah. Uh, first, we're back. Uh, I was on vacation for a little bit, and then, um, boy, we got busy. And then, do we have technical difficulties? Yeah, we're having, we having a little bit of technical difficulty with the Blue Yetis, our microphones. We're going to try and get that fixed. We hope we sound good. Yeah. Yeah. We're, things are going to be better. Mm-hmm. Things are always going to get better. Making it great again. Oh, gosh. I don't know if we were ever great, but um, but we do have a lot to talk about because it's uh, almost the end of July, and uh, things are going full steam out in the field. We just came off a very hot period here in Iowa. It was wicked hot. Yeah. Did you know eighty over 80% of Iowa is in a drought right now? Ooh. Well, that was before. That was last week. Ooh. There were some rain events that happened, but according to the drought monitor, yeah, over eighty percent is in a drought or a severe drought. Oh my gosh, that's that. Yeah, I I believe it. Um, I looked at that before the rain came last week. Yeah. And I saw there was a big stripe going through the state. Right. Um, and it looks like uh, what in central Iowa, at least on was that Wednesday, we got an inch and a half of rain. Yeah, what I heard from field agronomists this morning is that the rain was really patchy. So some people got relief and, you know, just the next farm over didn't seem to get anything. So real patchy. And when we were doing the farm tours last week, sponsored by uh, the Soybean Research Center here at ISU, uh, talking with the uh, farmers that we visited in central Iowa, I think they said the same thing. Yeah. uh, You know, pop-up thunderstorms uh, helping out, but, yeah, there was still... um, there were still areas that did not get a lot of rain. And soil moisture levels are low. Um, yeah, when you see that cracking in the yeah. ground, you know, that's never a good thing. Yeah. And that ground gets hard, and it's hard mm-hmm. to absorb water. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's been rough. Uh, but this week, uh, we're off to a great start. What is it, like 84? It's I think beautiful. It's, it's one of the nicest days of the month so far, just because of the humidity. feels like it's under control. Yeah, as in humidity gone. Yeah, not, not the... 64% plus humidity we had last week. Yeah. And, of course, there's consequences for all uh, of that when it comes to pest management. Uh, I think the heat put the zap on the soybean aphid. We saw aphid populations earlier in the year that were looking like, yeah, pretty healthy establishment and numbers building up. And then they kind of dropped off. They dropped off a little bit in Jul- at the early July, but just reports from our lab and a few other places, it looks like they've been kind of picking up again. So even though it has been hot and dry, there's some fields that still are having increasing numbers, particularly. They're not going away. Right. They're not going away. Mm-hmm. And like our efficacy evaluation, I think, is showing up. They're, the aphids are showing up pretty strong. Oh, really? Now. Okay. So, yep. All right. Um, so, um, that's a, I mean, a good thing in terms of research, kind of a bad thing in terms of uh, pest management because... We're not out of the woods yet. Still a lot of growing season left ahead of us, even though the crop's getting into the early reproductive stages. So kind of a critical window for aphids. Very critical. Uh, critical. Well, for, I mean, for the crops. Yeah. This is a really important time for them to be getting the moisture that they need. Pest pressure can add stresses that, you know, affects grain fill and ultimately yield. 
I think the insect, or the, I should say the pest, I've been hearing the most about in the last Let me seven guess. days. Let me see if I can guess. Even though I was on vacation, let's see. It was the, and I'm really good at this because I'm an expert and I've got years of experience. I'm, I know the pest that you've been getting a lot of phone calls about, soybean leaf miner. <laughs> How do, I need to insert that game show sound. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Not, it's not the soybean leaf miner? I, I have seen like three this year. So it's interesting uh -huh. that you say it because I normally don't see them at all. Um, but yeah, I've seen a couple of those. But, but that's not the one. That, that's not the one. Oh, um, I'm usually great at this game. Yeah, yeah you're usually but, good at trivia. But yeah, yeah you were yeah. the high school random trivia champion. What was that called again? Uh, you know what? We don't have Clicker. We have. We, have oh, okay. we, we don't want to get into how I was a two-time IHSA Trivia, uh, quiz bowl, scholastic bowl, state oh, okay. champion. Sounds Let, better. We don't have time for that right now. Yes. That, now is not the time. Sounds better when you say it. What's the so the la the thing that I've been hearing a lot about? Probably not a big surprise when you talk about hot and dry drought stress condition is two spotted spider mite, and so I've been hearing about them showing up in corn and soybeans, mostly in the southern half of the state, but also a, a bit in north central and northwest too where people are seeing visible signs of injury. So that would be, you know, some yellowing, stippling, stunted plants, and, and that kind of thing um, in That's July. interesting. Interesting the geographic distribution you mm -hmm. just gave, because looking at the U.S. drought monitor yep. uh, map, southern uh, half of the state and the northwest corner are um, in abnormally dry to yep. moderate drought. Funny how that matches yeah. sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, northeast corner, perfectly they, fine. Yeah, they've been and, getting adequate rain yeah. compared so, to the rest of the state. So no surprises there, right? I mean, Not a surprise. We have dry, I, I guess the one surprise I have is when we went on the farm tour last week, I didn't see a lot of spider mite damage. But no. we were, um, again, this was central Iowa, a lot of humidity. And I wouldn't expect spider mites to occur in a humid and hot environment. It's got to be dry and hot. They like it dry and hot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so as the grassy driveways or waterways either dry down, get mowed down or whatever, um, become unfavorable, then the mites move over to the field crops. So usually that starts at field edges, and that's where people have been noticing the, the visual signs, so a lot of the webbing and discoloration. And so, yeah, and so I've just been, been getting a lot of questions about should I treat, when should I treat, maybe how often should I treat, and those kinds of things. And so... There will be an ICM News article out today, and I can put a link today, to that. Today, the 24th of July. Yep, and just give you a, a little bit more detail about scouting and, and treatment decisions. So uh, another pest update that I've, uh, I, I, I get phone calls too. You're not the only one who gets mm -hmm. phone calls. Whereas yours are probably from like Heartland Co-op and Joel DeYoung and all the... Are you buzz marketing? <laughs> is that what that is? Yeah. Oh, I'm not even aware. <laughs> So with me. No, I get phone calls from, uh, you know, my... Uh, you have people. My stepmother in uh, cent West Central Illinois <laughs> gives me a call. Rarely, maybe once a year about a pest problem. And this year, um, it's the same one that uh, I got frequent questions about at the Iowa games here in, in, in Ames uh, this Let last me guess. weekend. Let me guess. Huh? Oh, Let me guess. All right, let's see. Let's see if you can compete with... Uh, Japanese beetle. Oh my God, you're good. Yeah. Wait, were you reading my sheet? Because seriously, I wrote no, that. No, I wasn't. JBs are back. This has been interesting because we've experienced, I think, about a five year period where very few, if any, Japanese beetles. And, and at least in central Iowa, mm -hmm. if not kind of this 
tri-state region, uh, in part because of the really bad winter we had back, what, in 2010, 2012? 12 and 13. Yeah, and uh, soil temperatures got so low that I think we wiped out, you know, a big chunk of the population, but now they're starting to come back, and people mm-hmm. are noticing them, and they're kind of surprised, because like, hey, where did this come from? Mm-hmm. Um, so getting lots of questions about that. And so many questions. Yeah. Your tree is not going to die. Your tree is not going to die. All right, Connie, it's going to be okay. It's going to survive. Uh, I would continue to water the tree, though, yeah. is the one thing. It's like, don't if you, if you have hope, keep continue to water it. But I'm going to go out in the field this afternoon and just see how bad they are in our some of our bean plots. Mm-hmm. Um, my sense is probably not that bad, given how uh, non-existent they were for a good four or five years. I mean, they're definitely out there in stronger numbers this year compared to the last couple of growing seasons. And I'm not sure if you watched the news at all, but they interviewed someone oh, yeah. um, who was talking about Japanese beetle. They weren't from Extension or University, and he was he was recommending that people use the pheromone trap. And lucky, luckily enough, he had one to sell. Do we have time to talk about this? Yeah, it's unlimited time. I mean, I was just like, I can't believe that'd be the worst. That'd be the worst game plan for a homeowner to use a pheromone trap. And it's something I would never recommend to a farmer as well. Yeah, not to a farmer. Well, I mean, for a monitoring tool, if you wanted to know if they were there, just... Like first detection. Yeah, yeah. But once, but you, it, once you find one... Yeah, you're going to get... I, w- I would still numbers. never recommend it. The, this is, I think, you know, not trying to argue with you. Mm-hmm. I, I think there can be a role for these traps if you use them strategically. Hear me out. Just hear me out. I'm listening. Hear me out. Yeah, I mean, they're, they they are very attractive. They will pull in beetles from all around. And the concern, especially if you put them right next to a rose bush, if you don't like the Japanese beetles on your roses and you put a trap next to them, you will get more beetles on that rose bush. Yeah. Because they, they will be pulled in from other places. Mm-hmm. I have seen them used strategically where... Um, you move them to a place, you know, you put the trap in a place where you, you don't care if the beetles go. And then... Is this place within a mile of the things that you like? <laughs> what do you, Give me a scenario. scenario. Uh, well, the one scenario, this is anecdotal, but we had it in our backyard. Uh, our neighbor had uh, um, mulberry, raspberry, you know, uh, bushes. Very attractive, they, you know, for Japanese beetles. He was getting tired of them, you know, chewing on the leaves, getting in the berries. And... He was putting the trap right next to his, his little crop. I said, you know, move that to the center of the yard. And he had a fairly decent-sized yard. And he, he could pull some of the, the beetles off of the bushes. And, you know, he coupled that with a little bit of spraying. You know, he didn't do a lot, but he did a little bit of spraying when the berries weren't there. So I think he was running a bit of a push-pull strategy on that. Anyway, and I, you know. Not getting into a big argument here. We're no, just I don't. I, I agree. Ideas, uh, it's not that you could ideal. have a push pull if the landscape was big enough, but for like an individual homeowner, I don't think a yard. I mean, I think you would end up with more beetles if you put no matter what the yard size was, unless it was like five acres or something like that. You know, for for urban, I don't know. I I would be very hesitant. Yeah. Especially if I had things that I liked. Yeah. Like fruit. Trees. No argument there. I yeah. mean, putting the trap next to or in a dense area where you got a lot of vegetation that you want protected, terrible idea because mm-hmm. it's just so attractive. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. Yeah. And so, what I, you know, I care about Japanese beetle 
uh, during the pollination period of corn. And for those people that might have a data planting type research or demos, that can be a really big pain in the butt because they'll just basically go down the line as silks appear yeah. and can really interfere with research or demonstration. Uh, or if you have like seed fields or something like that where you really need to protect certain periods of time. But I think we're pretty much past the peak activity for Japanese beetle, and it's definitely winding down right now yeah, for the rest yeah. of the season. Um, another topic. Yeah. Um, this went on while I was on vacation, but I put a little note in my head and thought I'd bring it up. Um, there was a paper in Science that got a lot of press in the mainstream media. So Science Journal, uh, the Journal Science, uh, big name journal where all the best and most interesting science tends to go. There was a study that came out uh, in June, late June, titled Country-Specific Effects of Neonicotinoid Pesticides on Honeybees and Wild Bees. And I thought this was really interesting because uh, this study, uh, it was huge in scale. It's three countries in Europe, and they went for multiple years uh, studying the impact of a seed treatment of neonicotinoid uh, applied to uh, canola, rapeseed, and then uh, looking at the impact that that could have on both honeybees that were kept right at the fields and then wild bees that were found around those fields. And um, you know what a, a, a Rorschach test is? You know, like an ink block but test. where you have to try and associate words with the different images? Well, they, they give you an image and say, what do you see in this? Mm-hmm. I kind of think this study is the ink blot test of neonicotinoid experiments. Mm-hmm. Because in reading the popular press that came out of this, um, pretty much anything could be seen in the data based on you know who was looking at it. And like if it was positive for bees or negative for bees? or Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was evidence uh, mm-hmm. across the spectrum there. There was evidence for some of the... They did three countries, Germany, Hungary, and United Kingdom, UK. Uh, and they measured these effects on the different bees. And in some places, not all, but in a few places, they saw a positive effect. When you use a seed treatment on that target crop, there was an improvement in some aspects of bee health. Mm-hmm. In some places, no effect, and in others, there was a negative effect mm-hmm. associated with it. And um, it, it's an interesting study. We can put the link maybe to it yeah. in the um, in our little text box with these podcasts. I think it's full, fully shareable on science. Um, one of the things, I mean, it's interesting, and I think it's worthwhile work. But one of the things that's left unsatisfying is how do they account for that variation? Uh, clearly across three countries there's going to be variation and the authors talk about how they tried to deal with some of that some of the variation that could come up like by using trying to use honeybees of the same genetic background using similar age queens um, you know controlling for landscape variables around the field but they didn't really explain how they controlled for those variables mm-hmm. and it was tough you know I, I think they I think they fail to account or at least explain where that country to country variation occurred from so i don't know if we resolved anything that i don't know if this answered any question that we had before this paper came out i think yeah. i think we all 
are in agreement that, yeah, these, these insecticides can kill bees. They're insecticides. But the extent to which they harm honeybees and are driving the declines that we see and the, and the, 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 the really high rates of overwintering loss, I don't know if this, this study nailed it. Anyway. Yeah, that, that's great. I'd be happy to put the link on there, especially for those folks that have interest in pollinators, wild and, and honeybees. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Do you have a fit for us, Matt? Oh, fun insect trivia. Um, oh, shoot, you caught me off guard here. Um, I didn't really, because this okay. neonic study yeah. isn't really... Um, there is one There is one trivial thing. from. It's not trivial. I hate to... But, uh, so, you know, there are three... Um, there's three kind of three general uh, active ingredients that are neonicotinoids that are used for seed treatments. You know the three, right? Thiamidoxum. That's one. Imidacloprid. Two, yeah. And Going uh, for the three. Chlorpyrifos. No, that's sorry. That's Lordsman. Um, first, you got the concept. You got the first syllable kind of cl- uh, close. Clothianidin. Ah, Those are the three yeah. big three. That's right? what I meant. Yeah. yeah so um, the EU, uh, oh, back on three years ago, 2014? Was it 2013? restricted mm-hmm. the use of these on crops that uh, flower and, and are attractive to bees. Um, so it's been several years since they've been used in the European Union. Yeah. And the experiment that they did, they applied them to these crops so that, you know, conceivably, only that crop is going to have this, uh, in, uh, this neonicotinoid because the, the countries have restricted the use right yeah guess what was found in all of the hives neonix yeah yeah <laughs> but they used uh, uh, thiomethoxam in their experiment mm-hmm. guess what was found in all of the hives even those where um, the uh, the seed treatment wasn't used a metacloprid yes mm. yeah Interesting. Interesting kind of... It's not trivial. Like, where are they getting it? Well, that's a good question. It turns out that these products last a long time. Well, longer than we expected, I think. Uh, In talking to chemists, they're surprised by how long they can reside in the soil. And it looks like, despite the restriction several years ago, it's still out there. Wow. And the bees are picking it up. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, not all the trivia is fun. That sorry. was kind of a that was kind of a bummer, man. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> it's kidding. in the paper, and uh, I'll try to bring okay. a more fun insect trivia one next time. Oh. Oh. Well, there we go. Okay. That's a good one. That's a good one. All right. Yep. See you next week. <laughs>